Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. I'm your barely holding on seminarian and Religionless Church host, Mesa Menega. In this episode, I talk with Danielle Schroyer. Danielle is a writer and spiritual director. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Open Sea. Open Sea is an instrumental metal band from Tampa, Florida. You can get connected with both Danielle and Open Sea and their work in the links in the episode description. In the links in the description, you will also find my website, masonmeninga.com, where you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. If religionless church matters to you, there are two ways you can support. First, give the podcast a rating and a review. This not only offers thoughts and evaluations to others considering listening to the podcast, but it also informs me upon what to improve with the podcast. The second way to support is become a patron of my Patreon page. Patreon is a service where supporters financially support creators. With currently three different tiers varying from $1 to $10 a month, you receive respective rewards for supporting my work. Rewards include papers I write, upcoming Religionless Church episode previews, lectures I create, and much more. The links to connect to and support me and my work, including my Patreon page, are all in the episode description. I no longer wish to be your object cause of desire, as I, with my begging rambling, prevent you from your object of desire of this awaiting episode. Therefore, here it is, Religionless Church.
Today we have Danielle Schroyer. And Danielle, uh, you do lots of things in the world. Uh, you write. Um, that's kind of how I know you. Um, and I've, I've seen you on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter. And so you do some of that. You have been working in the church world. So you've been, uh, you, you've obviously have been a pastor and, and done sort of that work. Um, but as I always ask my, the people who I interview, who is Danielle Schroyer to Daniel Schroyer? Oh, that's a really good and heavy question. Uh, who am Start I? Right, right off in the morning, right? If I had to get all existential like, right party, away, like, what do you do? What are you interested in? I would say, oh, well, uh, I spend my time being a writer and a speaker and a spiritual director. That's mm. those are the things that I do vocationally. And I love to read. So I'm always reading a whole bunch of nonfiction books and mm. usually at least one fiction book. All and at once. Yeah, I'm kind of one You're of those, one of those people. Wow. Yeah, I'm not one yeah, of those people. I think right now, in fact, one of my goals um, over the weekend is to kind of close out some of my book tabs because <laughs> I have kind of too many books going. Um, but I have books for different things. So I have the one that I'm that I read when I'm waiting for my kids certain places. Mm -hmm. And then I have the one that I read before bed. And I have the one that I'm reading for study. And anyway. They have different purposes and places. Sounds right? like an Enneagram 7 type thing. You wouldn't happen to be Enneagram 7, would you? I'm not, but I thought I was for a really long time because I think people experience <laughs> me 7. Um, so that makes perfect sense. Uh, what else? I love yoga. I love martial mm. arts. I'm trying to get my black belt in Taekwondo. I oh, um, my knee, my ACL in uh, November of last year, so I've been in rehab, but I'm just getting through just like that. all the really good athletes. You know, you have to go through one of those once, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I it's my first major something that happened because I've been fairly adventurous athletically my whole life. And so, hey, it didn't it was awesome that I got all the way to adulthood before it that actually had a consequence of any kind. Right. Um, so, yeah, I stay really busy physically. I enjoy that. Um, I love to travel. I find most people interesting. So the fact that I get to spend time hearing about people's lives is great because I love people and I think people are just so much more lovely than they ever give themselves credit. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to mm -hmm. sit with people and just honor how lovely they are. That's right. Even when they're doing hard things and things are hard for them, people are lovely. So, well, it's a good thing that you, you're a spiritual director and you've been in the pastoring world because you kind of have to be a people person to, to enjoy that, you do, that call. You do. You, it's, it's better. It's better if you are. So I guess that's what I'd say, who I am to me. Yeah. That's wonderful. So before we talk about your latest book, Original Blessing, one of the things that I noticed uh, right away when I looked at your, your bio, um, and I think it might even be on the back of Original Blessing, is... There's a little mention. It's just very brief, maybe even seems sort of offhandedly, but it talks about how you are part of the emergent church world um, for a little while. So yeah. before we dive too much into Original Blessing, I, just tell us about your involvement with the emerging church movement. Yes, that was a huge part of my life for, gosh, it's been 20 years now, actually. I was thinking I was, it was 1999 when I met most of those, that group of people that mm -hmm. are still my friends. Um, so yes, I was, I went to Baylor. It started because I went to Baylor and I was part of a church called University Baptist. That was one of the first kind of iterations of what we would eventually come the to David Crowder 
something. Mm-hmm. Ah. Crowder was a college. Well, was he college student or did he just finish? He was finishing when I was there. Okay. So yes, he played music every Sunday and, um, it was just a group of people trying to figure out how to do church differently. And I went there actually as a pledge for my sorority. We had to at Baylor, your form of hazing is that you have to go to church together. Is that not so funny? So So, lame. (laughs) I know. It was like, Hey, we're going to all go to church together (laughs) pledges. Um, and so we ended up this one Sunday having to go to UBC all together and we showed up and I, my head exploded. I was like, I was a religion major pre-law at the time because I felt called into ministry, but I really didn't like church. (laughs) So I was basically hedging my bets that God would let me off the hook with that. Sounds like most (laughs) pastors that I know of, like they they feel a call to ministry, but they also are not fans of church. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I got to seminary and realized, oh no, all these people love church. Actually, I was like, oh no, you all love it. And I Mm. for sure don't. And so I actually felt like the outsider, but I think probably the people that you hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like, yeah. Yeah. Those emergent Uh, folks. Yes. Us emergent folk are all like, we were, we don't get what's happening in this space. What is this supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, I I got to that church service and I, my head exploded. They played Hootie and the Blowfish. It was very casual. It was conversational. And I just thought, well, listen, God, if this is the kind of church I could do, like, I didn't think that you could change church. It had kind of never Mm. dawned on me before that I was like allowed to change stuff. And so as soon as I saw that there was maybe this runway where I could come up with what church looked like, I was just ready for that. And Mm. so that was in, you know, like I said, that was in the mid nineties. And I met Doug Paget after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the year after that, he was working at Leadership Network. And I met him when he came to do an event at UBC. He's an all right guy. He's an all right guy. Just all right. Yeah. Um, and then I um, ended up hearing about this group that they were putting together of people that wanted to think theologically about questions that they were starting, people were starting to have about the church. And most of these guys, they were all guys, were coming out of the evangelical um, tradition. And I, that's not my tradition, Hmm. but uh, a friend of mine who was on staff with me at journey, the church that I was interning at in, in Dallas said, um, they're looking kind of for young voices. And I thought you would enjoy that. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I'll talk theology with anybody anytime. That's my favorite (laughs) thing in the whole wide world, especially if it's about making church better. And so, um, Brian McLaren called me and interviewed me over the phone. And we talked to Derrida and Gadamer and a whole bunch of other, like, um, yeah, philosophy people. Yeah, I guess I passed the test because he invited me to this meeting in the woods in Minneapolis um, or in Minnesota, and that's where I met kind of that big group of people. Mm. And that group ended up becoming Emergent Village. So I was in my twenties when all that stuff was happening, and I was in seminary, and I was having kids, and all of that. But I ended up pastoring a church um, in Dallas that was that we ended up becoming another one of those independent emerging communities of faith that was sort of outside Mm. of denominational lines, much like Solomon's porch. Mm -hmm. So um, that was my job for a long time. And I was really involved in emergent and talking with churches and helping them figure out what life might look like in this postmodern context. And um, yeah, that's wonderful. Wow, I didn't realize that that was the extent of your story. Like you were, you were fully involved. You were, you were a full-on member. Yes, they caught me when I was young and passionate and um, opinionated about everything. And 
I was happy to stand in front of people and tell them what I thought about things. And that was a really fun thing to do for a good long stretch of time. Yeah. That's great. So before we dive too deeply into the the contents and the meat of Original Blessing, I want to know, what did you learn about yourself while you were writing Original Blessing? Hmm. What did I learn about myself? Well, gosh, I mean, in, in one sense, it really felt like coming home to myself. Hmm. Um, I never hopped on the bandwagon of original sin, really. Um, it just, it wasn't enough part of my tradition or part of what I had ever acknowledged as true mm. that I needed to deconstruct it in any big way, but really studying it deeply and writing about it in a way that was trying to be helpful for people who maybe didn't have that same openness toward it. Um, it also felt like a homecoming that I was coming home to this truth about who I was and who other people were that I always knew. Mm. And that just felt really healing, I guess, in a way that I was able to, to express things as a pastor that I had intuited for a long time, you know, that the things that people had problem with in faith were not about it came from them not actually understanding that that they had what they needed within and that they had mm. this presence of God within them. And when I could help people get back to that place, I would always see them grow and become better and um, feel more connected to God and feel like they had a sense of hope uh, in their understanding of what faith could look like for them. And so I would say that's probably the overarching thing. I also realized that it's really, really hard to live in original blessing. I think at the beginning, mm. I thought it was going to be 60% positive and 40% hard. And when I got finished, I was like, oh no, it's 60% hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep, I don't flip. know the percentage exactly, but it's really hard to decide that you're going to live in a framework of seeing the world through original blessing. And I, I certainly learned some places in myself where I still needed to do some of that work. Mm. And I'm really glad that it gave me an invitation to to work on that stuff. Mm -hmm. What was it about original sin that made it maybe useful at one time for those who developed the doctrine? I think it's probably always going to be useful. If you think about in human history, um, movements and schools of thought that are based on fear always do really well mm. because mm. there's always a significant amount of human society that is motivated by fear. Mm -hmm. um, that is certainly not the better angels of our nature. And it's certainly not the strongest character that we have as humans. But uh, when we're in times of anxiety or, or things are changing, and certainly now we're in a, a season of deep change socially and globally, mm -hmm. um, fear is incredibly useful. And original sin is entirely based around the fear that you're not enough and the fear that you need God to fix you because there is something that is 
deeply flawed about you that, that actually can't be fixed. So, um, it's always going to be useful. It's definitely not helpful. Mm. <laughs> um, and certainly when the church was trying to grow, I mean, if you look at it in just Christian history terms, if you are, if you go from being a minority underdog religion to the religion of the empire, mm-hmm. and you're trying to figure out a way to keep people coming on Sunday, it's really super convenient to say, well, you have this problem that you're born with that we only can fix. So that's a great indicator and reason to make people come back every Sunday. They need to come and get baptized. They need to come and continually confess their sins. Mm-hmm. Even once they're saved, they still have this problem, this sin nature that they live with for the rest right. of their lives. So um, it's very useful. You can grow a church that way. I mean, if you, if you think about <laughs> many churches across our country that are packed out every Sunday, they're deeply fear-based. They're there because mm-hmm. people are afraid of imagining that they could be more than, the, than what they are currently evidencing in their lives. So. so you've kind of been alluding to this, but maybe it'd be worth really diving deep into this. But what is it about original sin that makes it problematic for us today and, and probably since it first was developed? Yeah, well, it prevents us from understanding that the most important thing we should know about ourselves is that we're first beloved by God. And Hmm. part of that belovedness is that we're connected to God. And so the idea that original sin begins with the idea that we're disconnected from God and there's a problem always creates a distance between us and God. Whereas as soon as we acknowledge original blessing, we realize that regardless of whatever problems or situations that we're facing in life, there is this deep connection and belovedness that we have with God, that if we return to it, we'll figure out a way to make other things work, right? Mm. We'll figure, that's where we figure out what to do and what's right. Not by going outside of ourselves in this pursuit of something that um, is beyond our own humanity, but by coming back home to that place where God resides within us. And, um, yeah, how, how can you be an integrated person of faith when original sin tells you that you will always be disintegrated Mm. an impossible task? I mean, it's, it's why so many Christians feel so frustrated. They're on that hamster wheel of sin and repent and then sin again and repent again, because there's something about that worldview that just demands that kind of rat race from you. Yeah. It's exhausting. You mentioned earlier about the difficulty of living into original blessing. So what is it about original blessing that makes it difficult to accept ourselves as blessed rather than cursed by God? Yeah, I think the difficulty is in two layers. The first certainly is personal that, gosh, it's really hard to acknowledge that God loves us that much. Mm. And And actually, not just that much, but that God loves us that well, you know, Mm. that God is so good at loving us that even when we really 
don't feel we deserve it, or we feel like we should be receiving something different from God, that God is so steadfast about it. And I think it's because we live in a society that's so set up for cause and effect and for, you know, comeuppance that it's just so completely counterintuitive to us, even as Christians who say that we live in a different story. You know, we live in a world that is you work for it and you get this, or you do something wrong and you get punished. And the fact that God doesn't operate in those terms is so disorienting to us. And it's Hmm. really hard to accept, particularly when we're in a place where we don't feel like we deserve anything. Um, so if you grew up living in, in a, um, a tradition that was really heavily influenced by original sin, you were taught not to think highly of yourself. And part of the consequence of that is you don't feel like you deserve God's love. I mean, Mm. that's, that's the reason why you feel bad about Jesus is that, you know, can you believe you made Jesus do that on the cross? You know, Mm. it's all guilt focused and guilt. Um, on a societal level, original blessing is hard because, oh my goodness, the minute you realize that we are all connected by this love that God has not only for us, but universally for all of creation, then everything we do matters. Mm. Like I have to think about plastic straws, which is a huge pain in the butt because (laughs) I would rather just use plastic straws, you know? But if that's going to affect the ecosystem and I am using them based on convenience, right, then that is putting that selfish. You realize that that's selfish, that, Mm. oh, my gosh, I have to change my life patterns because what I do affects everyone else. And And if I see belovedness in the connections with everyone else, then I have to act on that belovedness. So. What happens to someone on the other side of the universe and on the other side of the, the globe does have to matter to me because it's not something I can say I'm not connected to. Mm. And, you know, at times that's just, well, not at, at, at certain times, at all times, that's really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, the Rohingya are getting massacred and that's a problem because they are my brothers and sisters mm. and God loves them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we could go on and on. Right. Mass incarceration yeah. is a problem, yep. right? All these things are a problem. And they're my problem. Mm. They have problem. Mm-hmm. I-, I can see a person who isn't necessarily convinced by your argument in original blessing. The first red flag for them is, well, are you just getting rid of sin and evil altogether? Um, right. And so by replacing original sin with original blessing does not necessarily mean that you're replacing sin entirely. So what do you make of sin in light of being originally blessed? Well, actually, and it flows really well with what I just said, which is you actually realize that there's way more sin than you thought there was. You have to (laughs) name way more things as sinful than you Mm. were doing previously. And, you know, my, what I often say is that the problem with original sin is that we actually end up not taking sin as seriously as we ought to. Mm. And we make it so personal And then we say, oh, well, like Jesus has forgiven that. And it keeps us in a shame spiral. But for some reason, we never grow out of it in a way that actually will benefit other people or ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's a cop out to believe in original sin because we get ourselves off the hook for a whole bunch of things that Jesus has told us we are supposed to do Mm. in life. And so 
it's in no way does original blessing um, require us to set sin aside. It actually tells us to put it in its rightful place. That's why the the sub um, title of my book is putting sin in its rightful mm-hmm. place. And again, when we see the world as deeply entwined in connection, then we start to notice that any what I how I define sin is disconnection. Mm. So think about all the places you know where that's happening. You know. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. you have to claim anytime you don't honor the sacredness of a connection with someone or something else that's considered to be sinful because you're not honoring the beloved connection. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's way more work to be a faithful person and to acknowledge and, and come to responsibility for the sin that you are, you know, either actively doing or inactively present. You're way more embedded in sin. Right. Uh, Original sin is the foundation of how many Christians conceive of their soteriology. Mm -hmm. Um, So with being originally blessed as your foundation, how does that implicate your soteriology? So, yeah, you're not allowed to say only and in a very reductionist manner that Jesus died for your personal sins anymore. (laughs) You get to say that still, but you don't get to only say that anymore. Mm. And I think that's what's important. And I think the concern is that people say, well, is that not what you're saying? And I'm like, no, I'm saying that. You should for sure keep that. You just need to add like 900 more things, (laughs) what the cross means. You know, it is appallingly and offensively to God and Jesus reductionistic to say that the only reason Jesus died was to fix this problem that we said God had with humanity that God didn't say like God never once said in scripture, Oh my goodness, I have this problem where I have to choose between my justice and my mercy. What will I do? What will I ever do? You know, (laughs) we created this whole construct of God being at odds with God's self Mm. where I don't see that in scripture at all. I think God's justice and God's mercy are always connected Mm-hmm. and integrated and you really can't have one without the other. And so this idea that we've reduced um the cross to this mathematical equation where we get to have some sense of um feeling off the hook for doing things for God, right? It's really messed up. And it's really terrible as we're on the the um eve of of passion week mm-hmm. to imagine that Jesus went through all of that for just that one thing, you yeah. know. For some big white guy's midlife crisis up in the sky. Yes, right? Like, that's (laughs) so offensive to Jesus. Like, he did, Mm. he suffered deeply and gravely. And if we believe the creeds, he descended into hell for three days. And it seems like that should mean more than just that. Mm. Um, So, for me, original blessing requires us to look at the cross in the way, in the fullness of scripture, not just those reductionist ideas, we add, we, we continue to hold those and say, yes, Jesus died for our sins and Jesus died to bring life to the world. And Jesus died to be in solidarity with the suffering of all time and all places. Hmm. And, you know, and the ands have to go on and on and on because it's this deep mystery that we can't possibly begin to fathom. Hmm. The minute we decide that we think we've got it figured out as if it's this simple equation to make us feel better, we have um, really marred the beauty and complexity of what it meant for God to become human and die. 
Today I have Tim from OpenSea. And uh, Tim and I, you, we've been like following each other for a, a little bit uh, through Instagram. And uh, a few days ago, yeah. or even like a week ago now, uh, I was like, you know, I need some people who uh, would be willing to share their music with me and, and to share it on Religionless Church. Uh, and so here we are. Uh, you mentioned that you have a, a band, a little project that, I don't know, for whatever reason you kept from me. And uh, for some reason you thought it didn't fit into the vibe of Religionless Church. but. If you know well religionless church well enough, we got everybody being played. So I'm glad that you were able to to share your music with me because I, I think it's really tremendous. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this last album. I was checking it out um, a few days ago and was really impressed by just like the production of the music is just really just amazing. Considering you know it's not like you're in a you know signed to a major record deal or anything. Oh, yeah, really wonderful not. production. But uh, yeah, tell me about like the recording process of of this last album. Yeah, well, um, I'll I'll make one amendment to what you said um, when you said band. Um, it's not the usual band setup. It's it's just me. Right. Um, I, I I've been in li- I've been living in Tampa for about five years, and um, when I moved here, um, I or I should say prior to living in Tampa, I was living in Memphis, and I was heavily involved in music my whole life in several different bands and uh when i moved here that was uh, a huge goal of mine was to reconnect with some new musicians down here and Mm. uh, immediately uh get the ball rolling with with a new project and uh for whatever reason it's been really really difficult uh to find people who are interested in the same style of music Mm. uh Mm -hmm. have the same uh same goals in mind um yeah, it's been really difficult. So eventually I was tired of searching. I, I got a, a little fatigued, uh, a little disheartened um, with the process. So I was like, I have five or six songs completed, uh, ready to record. Uh, I'm just going to try and do it on my own. And mm. I was very fortunate. Uh, I, I work in the music industry and uh, oh, okay. the some of the guys that I work with have some connections to guys uh, locally. And uh, yeah, so through one of my buddies that I work with, he hooked me up with uh, uh, just a, a local hardcore guy. Uh, he's played in hardcore bands and uh, kind of we're, we're not into the exact same styles of music, but he gets the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, he's got a little studio not too far outside of Tampa, and we went there uh, for four or five sessions. And um, like I said, it was a really mm. fortunate uh, circumstance where um, I, I don't have a drummer. This guy is a drummer, so <laughs> perfect. Yeah, um, he was able uh, from a drummer's point of view go in and program all of all of the drum tracks that you hear in the songs on this uh, departures ep mm-hmm. um and more or less it's it's exactly what i was looking for so mm. uh, i i just really lucked out on that it was a, a huge relief and i was really stoked on on how it turned out yeah and it, it just sounds really wonderful uh, one of the things mm-hmm. i'm really curious about is normally I, I mean most of the bands that get featured on religionless church uh, are bands that have vocals and so obviously there's lyrics. And so it's easy to kind of talk about maybe some of the inspiration behind an album when you can kind of strictly talk about lyrics. Right. 
but that's yeah. not that's not your project. Your project is purely instrumental. So what were some of the influences or some of the inspirations behind some of the music uh, that went into this EP? Yeah, um, man, it's really an amalgamation of a lot of different influence. Uh, I, I think anybody would say that the last few years, um, politically, spiritually, everything has been uh, uh, just a, a whirlwind. I think everyone has experienced um, some growth or at least uh, have felt pushed in a, a lot of new directions. Um, and for me, um, that, that definitely played into some of my inspiration. I was feeling, a, I, I recently found myself, um, needing to leave the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I am right now. I don't think we really have time to get into that really long story, but, uh, I was feeling a lot of emotional, um, back and forth about that. And, um, I needed, uh, release and I couldn't quite find um, the words to uh, describe it, nor did I have, because this is an instrumental project, did I have the outlet um, to really express that in words. Um, so a lot of it is just kind of moods. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of what I was feeling um, in those processes. And, um, and then on top of that, I'm just, I'm really nerdy. Uh, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. The lighting is terrible in here, but everything. Oh yeah. I didn't even notice that right away. Yeah. That's amazing. <clears throat> really, really huge into Star Wars and any other like big sci-fi, uh, like cinematic score or whatever. Um, really into that whenever I'm watching those movies all I'm thinking about is oh I can't wait to go write a song just it, it <laughs> whatever it is it really drives me and um um and then on top of that I uh when I was living in Memphis um I happened to become friends with a guy who I knew known for a bit but uh the few years right before I moved uh we'd gotten really close and um, he had this really strong, concise vision for this uh, sort of like mixture of blues. Uh, being from Memphis, we were both very inspired by blues music. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have a little bit more classic rock and classic metal um, mm -hmm. in my, my roots musically, but he was very much he, into uh, a, a lot of the hardcore scene that I was very unfamiliar with mm. until I met him. Uh, always been a, a very into metal, but he he really like uh, expanded that for me, and so I had the privilege of sort of jamming with him for a while. And he's a really really good drummer, and uh, yeah, he <clears throat> through writing some of those songs, which ended up becoming some of the songs that are that are also on the EP that you mm. heard. Um, we wrote some of those those riffs together. Um, yeah, yeah, th that was just a huge inspiration in mm -hmm. finishing those songs. That that kind of like set the tone for um, what all of them would become, which was this weird sort of like bluesy metal classic rock thing. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned a little bit ago about how, you know, because of the religious and political and just overall societal climate that we're in right now, there was sort of this maybe angst. I don't know how else you would yeah. describe it. Maybe angst is a good word for it. Anyway, what was then when you were recording these songs for this EP, what was your experience like? Was it more of a a liberating experience? Did it oh, absolutely. Feel... Yeah, t- talk yeah. about that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so having those feelings and those sort of being um, the motivation and the, the inspiration behind the songs, um, I was... I really wanted to get them recorded, um, but for financial reasons and just, I guess, lack of creativity. And honestly, I am technologically just not inclined. I have tried so many times to to have my own recording set up and and try and do it all on my own. And I'm just not good at it. Um, So um, at at one point, I, I just... I'd settled with the idea that I wouldn't be able to record the songs. Um, I would just have all of this inside me and I would mm. just explode at some point. But um, once my, my, the guy that I work with uh, hooked me up with uh, this local guy, um, <clears throat> we were able to get into the process of going to his house and tracking uh, scratch guitars so that he could then program drums and then have, get my approval on those drum tracks and then go out to his other studio and uh, do the, the, the final recordings. Um, the whole process was just extremely um, rewarding and uh, just a huge release and kind of, uh, uh, y- you know, you've been feeling all of these really strong things for a long time and then you get to see it the vision that you had come to fruition and it's a, it it was extremely rewarding. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea about like future endeavors with this project? Are you writing some more songs for it? Are you maybe even thinking about playing some shows? What, what, what's kind of going on in the future of of this project? All all of that and more. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I'm in the process of writing more songs. I have other songs written. I just, again back in that position of trying to find somewhere to record that i that i can afford to record but also um somebody who's interested in what i'm doing and and kind of has a vision to to help that uh see that through and um i think this time around it'll include some vocals uh i i've been a singer for a long time and i i would like to explore that i've never been the lead singer in a band so mm-hmm. uh, it it'd be a lot of fun to explore that a little bit um and then i'm also weirdly a little bit into like some electronic stuff um Mm. it's i don't know even know how to get into that (laughs) like really old electronic stuff um and i might even try and explore some of that in in future recordings awesome how can people get connected with uh with your music sure yeah um I think the the easiest and and most popular is Spotify, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's on all of the other platforms, uh, uh, Apple Music, iTunes, all that stuff, and Bandcamp Camp as well. Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I, I really enjoyed listening to your music. It kind of I 
I, I do like a little bit of this more like instrumental metal type music. It reminded me a lot of Animals as Leaders. Uh, oh, nice. What's the awesome. what's the uh, the lead guy like Tonson? Tonson Abasi. Yeah, Abasi. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, and you know, which I mean, he's just unbelievably talented. And you know, your right, music kind of had a, a similar vibe to it. I really appreciated it, and I really awesome. Really That's it. like the biggest compliment I've ever. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Well, so thank you so much for sharing your work and your music. I want you to teleport back to your Roaring Twenties uh, when you were in the Emerging Church Movement. Uh, how have you seen the Emerging Church Movement embody original blessing instead of original sin? Yeah. You know, I think the inklings were always there, and I kind of mm. wish we had been more forthright. I mean, I wish I had thought to be more forthright about it, because I do feel that it's a foundational piece, which is a funny thing for me to say as a postmodernist who's like, there is no foundation. <laughs> anyway, it, it's, at the, it's at the center of, of the holistic web. I'm just right? saying Derrida just lost one of his wings because of that. Just, just <laughs> so know. you know. It is at the center of whole, the holistic web that we are weaving. Um, one of the centers that holds the web is original blessing. And if you don't get that right, everything else is going to be off. It's mm. going to be off track. And so I wish I had known that sooner and I could have advocated for that sooner um, because mm. I think it may have, have made our desire to see change in the way that we were doing theology. We could have maybe done that a little more holistically that way. Mm. But I think the inklings were always there. I mean, we noticed that things were missing, which was again, a sign that there was something not holistic going on. Cause we were like, mm. wait a minute, Faith isn't just up here in our heads. Like, what mm. about the rest of our bodies? And so incorporating art and trying to find these contemplative practices that had, had completely never been part of the evangelical tradition, if that's mm -hmm. where many of those people were coming from, um, but also just weren't as popular as probably should have, they should have been in the, in the spiritual life of most Christians in America. 
So saying Lectio Divina was important and bringing the labyrinth into people's conversations and talking about just mystics and contemplatives, all of those were inklings that we knew that was what we needed to fix what was wrong, you know? And I think now looking back, I can say, oh, that's because those things come from a place of original blessing. <laughs> that's the thing that was missing yeah. is that we, we had this disconnect and we were trying to reconnect it. And now I have this language to describe kind of what that looked like. Mm. But um, I definitely think, you know, one of, one of my biggest goals as a, of a new pastor of an emerging church was how do I pastor the whole person? You know, how mm. do I help them? live into, and we would say like, we're living into the way of Jesus, that this isn't just something that you think about. This is something right. that you live. So all of that language was definitely holistic and was there. Mm. As a wonderful scholar and theologian, I'm sure you're familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who actually just a couple of days ago, we celebrated his, I think, 74th anniversary from the date that he was, he was killed. Um, and, uh, because this is called the Religionless Church Podcast, uh, I'm sure you're familiar, or at least maybe vague, vaguely familiar with this concept of religionless Christianity. So how yeah. do you see maybe your work, uh, especially with Original Blessing, relating to Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity? I, I am all for religionless, religionless Christianity, um, only because even if we're just talking about original sin, original sin has never been something that a mystic on their own has figured out. It's only been something that the institution has done to mm. perpetuate its own validity um, and bottom line, quite honestly. And so in that sense, gosh, institutional, institutional religion can do so many really wonderful things. Mm. And also it can systemically perpetuate really bad theology that deeply affects the personal lives and communities of people. And um, yeah, so for me, certainly now, I mean, my job is different. I'm not a, a pastor anymore. I'm a spiritual director. And so my job by, by default and by definition is to help an individual come to their sense of understanding mm -hmm. what God is doing within them. But I mean, I would say one of the wisest things that Bonhoeffer is trying to tell us in that conversation is the idea that for us to seek our own wholeness moves us to seek the wholeness of the community that we live in, which moves us to seek the wholeness in the society that we live in. Mm. And we can do that in a way that does obstruct what the purpose of religion filled Christianity is right? mm. religion filled church <laughs> sometimes, sometimes doesn't have that same intention. Mm. I, I always feel ungracious when I say that, but I, I imagine on this podcast, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I, before I, I get to my, my very last question, I, I had one more question about, um, you know, when, when you first, had that nugget in your mind about original blessing. There, there was probably some sort of uh, existential or even just personal experience with original sin um, that maybe even had a, a visceral reaction from you. What is your what is that existential or visceral personal reaction when you think about original sin versus original blessing now? Um, now that you've really you know sort of fleshed out in a book even. Uh, the concept of original blessing and even probably have learned a lot more about original sin. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it was one particular moment. It was, I 
continually as a pastor noticed, viscerally noticed how people felt disconnected and distanced from God Mm. when there was a moment or a situation that they were facing when the thing that would help them move forward was to acknowledge the connection that they had with God. (laughs) And so it was like, ah, mind boggling and so deeply frustrating pastorally to think the, the, that original sin keeps them in the very place that has caused the problem to begin with. Mm. It was just this black hole of disaster where you are never going to get out of this situation if you don't reject that you are disconnected from God and reject that there's this distance that you're feeling or experiencing and acknowledge instead that there's this deeper reality happening where Mm. God is deeply committed to you and faithful to you and loves you. And that that is the only thing that's going to get you out of this mess, you know? So it was just the pastoral frustration of seeing that disconnect over and over again and knowing that that was just the last thing that was going to be helpful for these people to become Mm. better disciples of Jesus Mm -hmm. or just healthy humans, you know, right. Or just like contributing members of society. This was really deeply unhealthy and unhelpful for them to feel. Last question. How can listeners get connected to you and your work? Uh, well, I do have a website, danielleschroyer.com. I don't blog on there as regularly anymore, but you can kind of see what I'm up to and get more info on me there. You can follow me on Twitter where I tend to be my most snarky. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's DG Schroyer. And if you are remotely interested in um, my random uh, left turn toward Buddhist thought, you can follow me on beasoulninja.com where I blog about, <laughs> yeah, just my fun just for kicks and fun practice of trying to learn more about the Buddhist tradition and my own experience in martial arts and stuff like that. That's great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you again, Danielle. This has been really wonderful. I'm a big fan of your work and uh, a big fan of original blessing. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully there's another book coming out on the, (laughs) on the scene soon. And uh, yeah, I would, I'd love to, to, to even read that and uh, potentially even interview you for whatever work you've got coming up in the, in the work. Thanks. Thanks. Stay tuned. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. that episode left you hanging and you're wanting more from both Danielle and OpenSea, you can find links to connect to them and their work in the episode description. Again, you can also connect to me through my website, masonmeniga.com. There you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, If Religionless Church matters to you, support by giving a rating and review and by becoming a patron of my Patreon page. Thank you for listening to Religionless Church. I send you out with this. May the divine bless you with doubt and keep you disrupted. 
May the divine make the divine's face of infinitude shine upon you and show you graciousness to your own finitude. May the divine lift up the divine's countenance of justice upon you and give you whole unsatisfaction, now and forever. So be it.